So tonight's lesson is called uh, Giving with a Faithful Attitude, and the scripture reading for tonight comes from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. And it reads, But this I say, he who sows uh, sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always, have, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As I was preparing uh, tonight's lesson, I, I read um, an article about uh, another churchgoer, and it reads, when we come to the matter of finances in the New Testament church, I think we all tend to tighten up a little bit, for inevitably it deals with something which is very dear to the hearts of most Americans, money. I, too, am a bit apprehensive, for I recall all too well an encounter between a friend of mine and a pastor. The pastor had just uh, given a rousing sermon on stewardship, and so far as I know, attempted to stir up the troops to give even greater sums of money into the church treasury. My friend, whose name is Carl, and who is quite outspoken, was not too impressed uh, with the sermon. This is not the Carl that attends here. Story. Uh, when Carl um, got to the doorway, there the pastor shaking hands with those who were leaving. The pastor, whose name was Vince, knew that if anyone in the church who would level with him about his message this morning, it was Carl. With very little prompting, Carl concisely summed up the matter with this statement. Vince, the way I look at it, your sermons cost me 25 bucks a piece. And frankly, Vince, you and I both know they're not worth it. We often consume ourselves with how much money to spend. Um, we set aside a household budget. We set aside um, for our vacations, for our homes, our cars, our electronics. Um, how much we set aside for retirement. And oh yeah, sometimes there's church. Tonight I want to spend uh, some time looking at just that. Tonight, I want to examine our giving to church. So I'm, I'm going to break this down to um, three parts of giving. Why we should give, how we should give, and some examples of giving. As we examine this act of our faith, it should hopefully be clear that we're, when referring to giving to the church, it's not, about, it's not just some organization like you might think about other charitable um, giving, but the church refers to the body of believers both here in Annapolis and elsewhere. With that, um, let's begin by examining why we should give. You would turn in your uh, Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Matthew 6, 2 and 3. And it reads, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you that you have received the... They have received the reward in full, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Here we read Jesus' instructions. Jesus states, when you give. Not if you give, but when. Just like when we are tested. Uh, it's not if we're going to be tempted, um, or if we're going to go through trials, but it's when. Here, again, it is when we give. Um, we see here that Jesus expects us to give. Um, some have said in the Old Testament they had to give, but not in the New. Now we only give if we want to. Uh, but that's clearly not so here. 
Christians will give. And one of the ways that we give is to give to the poor and to the needy. In 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 16, verses 1 through 4, it reads, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping um, with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give the letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. In Paul's instructions to the Corinthians, he instructs them to set aside a sum of money. He instructs them to do this on the first day of every week. We see here that Christian giving is part of that act of worship. It's something that Paul instructs each and every one of us to do. Each one of us should be setting aside a sum for the Lord. The collection is for the Lord's people, the church. But how should we give? Um, now that we've established that um, each one of us should give, and it's not an if, but it's a when, let's further examine how we should give. So if we look back at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, it reads again, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The Bible teaches us to be cheerful givers. It teaches, and that's such a great thought, to know how um, God takes delight in each one of our givings. It's this act of worship towards him. He takes delight in it. It's not just something that we're doing just uh, to help those around us, but it's to glorify God. It's, it's not only an act of worship, it's an act of our faith. The last time I spoke on giving, I gave an example about a mother who wanted to teach her daughter a moral lesson. She gave the little girl a quarter and a dollar to go to church with. And she told her, put whichever one you want in the collection plate and keep the other for yourself. Um, when they were coming out of church, the mother asked the daughter which amount she had given. The little girl said, well, I was going to give the dollar, but just before the collection, um, the man of the pulpit said that we should all be cheerful givers. I knew I'd be much more cheerful if I gave a quarter, so I did. That's not quite a, what I think uh, God has in mind for each and every one of us. But he has asked us to be cheerful givers. We're not uh, supposed to um, be reluctant in our giving, um, but we're supposed to do what we have decided in each one of our hearts, not sort of um, under any sort of compulsion. But you might ask yourself, doesn't this contradict the previous statement uh, that giving is instructed by God? I don't think it does. We are required to give, but it's always willingly. We are to show our faith in God that as we give to him, he will continue to provide for our needs. In, in verse 8, it said, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is going to continue to provide for our needs. Um, and that's just so powerful. Um, he doesn't say that we're all going to be able to afford every additional thing that we want. Everyone gets a yacht and things like that, but we'll have what, uh, uh, what we need. If we continue to read down further, and starting in uh, verse 12, it says, The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, 
but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We are told that the blessings don't just stop there, that it's not just a, a merely a service from us to God. It continues uh, to show our thanks to God. And let me repeat that. Through our giving, others will praise God. It's such an amazing thing. Others are going to praise God because of what we, what we give. Why? It's for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, for the generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. God set up like the ultimate pay-it-forward campaign. You give to others, others are blessed. Others praise God and pray for you, and you continue to be blessed, and you continue to give to God, and the blessings continue to come down. Amen to that. In Luke uh, chapter 6 and verse 38, it says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. And to top it off, God tells us how abundantly those blessings are going to come. It's, it's so exciting, like, when, when you go through and, and sometimes uh, you, you're, you're making a recipe and they, and they call for something like, say, uh, maybe, maybe not with, like, salt and things that you don't care for as much, but say brown sugar. And, and, and you go through and you, you get that cup out and you try to scoop up some brown sugar and you're like, I don't think that's quite enough. So you, you shake it all around, you push more in, you put more on top. That's how God's planning to bless us. He's looking to have a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. The blessings are going to come to us. Our God is so good. One of the examples, uh, kind of like the, the third part tonight, is the examples of, of, of giving. One of the examples I want to look at is, is uh, a widow. Most of the time we look at uh, the example of the widow that Jesus talks about. But tonight we're going to turn back to 1 Kings and look at the widow um, of Zarephath. And it's in 1 Kings chapter 17. And to set the stage as you're turning there, um, it's about after a three and a half year drought, God has sent Elijah um, to this widow living in financial fears. There had been some terrible um, ominous fear growing in her heart for several years. There was no rain in the land. Uh, she couldn't grow anything. There was no welfare, especially in pagan Sidon. There wasn't Israel, um, this wasn't Israel where people at least knew that they were supposed to take care of widows and the poor. As far as she knew, her starvation would begin after this meal. There was nothing to eat anywhere. So we're going to start in 1 Kings 17, starting down in verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came down to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her, um, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, uh, please, a piece of bread. We're going to pause there just for a second. Can you imagine 
uh, minding your own business in this town. There's this, uh, the brook is dried up, things are tough. You think you're coming up to the, your, your last meal when a man comes up to you and asks you for a drink. You're like, okay, uh, you can kind of see that the brook is clearly dried up. Um, why are you asking me for a drink? Um, and when you thought it might have just been that hard, on your way, he asked you for a loaf of bread as well, um, which you also don't have. Continuing in verse 12, uh, As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour and a jar and a little olive oil and a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. So after pleading how poor you are to this man, that you don't have anything, um, you hope to get away from him. But Elijah uh, uh, continues in verse 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me. And of course, it's a small loaf of bread for himself first. From what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour um, will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I can just imagine myself in that situation, just rolling my eyes, saying to myself, you've got to be kidding me, but maybe she acted that way too. But she acted on her faith, and she did what Elijah said, and she was blessed. But what happens next with this uh, contribution, this giving? We all give, but where does that money go and, and get used? Once that money is given to the church, given to us as the Lord's church, the body of believers, the elders in the body are stewards still of that money. One article I read in preparation for tonight categorized this uh, spending of a church into three categories. There's probably more, but I think this is a good start. Um, I, I will continue to study, maybe it will be even a, uh, a good follow-up lesson. Kind of like uh, this morning, Wayne preached on just a couple aspects of the Holy Spirit. You clearly can't go into either of these topics in, in full detail in, in one sermon. But the first category uh, uh, he made was is the, to meet the physical needs of the saints. The author of this article estimated that 90% of the scriptures dealing with money have to do, uh, have to do with meeting the physical needs of the saints. I didn't fact check that, uh, so that's probably something I'm going to go back and do. But that's still a fair amount. Um, in Acts chapter 6, it's described um, the, the concern for the widows in need. In Matthew chapter 6, it describes giving to the needy. 1 Corinthians 16 it describes giving to the poor. Part of this need of, um, of, of the saints might even happen outside of our home church. In 1 Corinthians 16 and Acts 11, it spoke to helping the church in Jerusalem. So we have a responsibility to, to the saints in need, uh, both here and elsewhere. The second category is giving to those who minister. In 1 Corinthians, uh, I believe it's chapter 9, but um, apparently I did not write the chapter down for this, so I apologize. 1 Corinthians um, 9, 13 and 14 um, says, Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? 
and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. And over in Galatians uh, chapter 6 and verse 6, Nevertheless, the one who received instructions in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So we're supposed to um, be able to support those who teach the word, those who minister to us regularly. And in these passages, it says that their living should come from, from the gospel. And we are just not only just to share uh, monetarily with them, but we're supposed to share with them all good things. And the third category um, is giving funds to those who are missionaries. We see that in the Philippians, uh, the church in Phil, uh, Philippi, uh, the Philippian church supporting Paul in this respect. In Philippians 4, um, verse 15, um, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. They also supported, um, I knew I was going to stumble on this name, Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus? <laughs> Thanks. Um, in Philippians 2, uh, verses uh, 25 through 30. So tonight, I want to conclude by challenging us as a body. Sometimes we need a little motivation to give. Sometimes we need a little vision. Sometimes we need to give uh, with a faithful attitude. We need to challenge, continue to challenge uh, one another. We need to better know the needs of our brothers, what, a, uh, what the needs of our brothers and sisters look like. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42, 42 through 45, it reads, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with the awe and the at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and every, everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone um, who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we need to get to know each other better to be able to know what um, each other's needs are. Paul had no problem making the needs of others known, as we see in Acts um, 11, verses 27 through 30. During this time, some of the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named um, Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine was spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. We read here about how the church helped um, their brothers and sisters in Judea. Sometimes we need to be told uh, what the needs um, are to be able to help. I would challenge us um, to be more effective, to get to know one another better, to make sure we know the needs of our brothers and sisters. Sometimes um, we struggle in silence because we think it's easier than asking for help. But God has asked us to be uh, united together, to be a body. So should we just tithe? Not necessarily. Giving a percentage of our money to the church without any knowledge of how it's used, how it can best be used, it, it might just not be enough. 
As Christians, we are responsible stewards for God's resources to give wisely and to give knowingly. In Proverbs 3.9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. As a congregation, I feel like we have done well with this. But as with most things, there's always room for improvements. We as a body have taken up special collections to meet the needs of members, to meet the needs of those in the community and elsewhere, um, to help a brother or sister in need. And recently we have begun to save, to, and we have set goals for ourselves. We have set a budget in the hopes of being on track to hire a full-time minister. But we should continue to push ourselves, continue to ask what we would do with just $50 more, with $100 more, with $5,000 more, with $50,000 more. If we set our hearts and minds to a goal with God on our side, we can accomplish amazing things. Um, we as a body should set goals and articulate to the body these goals. Ask them to give faithfully to meet these goals. And we should be able to show how our giving is helping to glorify our Father. A lot gets lost in the numbers over there on the board. A lot gets lost in the delta between the contribution and the budget. I challenge us to be better at articulating to the body. If we had X more dollars... This is how we would help a member. This is how we would help someone in need. This is how it would glorify God. So tonight, let us continue to give. Let us, continue, let us give freely and willingly to God. Let us be good stewards. Let us look to God to grow. Let us sow generously so that we may reap generously. Let us abound in every good work. Let us give with a faithful attitude. If there's something on your hearts tonight and you need the help of the church, why don't you come forward as we stand and sing the song?